Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents his teaching, Will He Find Faith? All right, praise the Lord. Y'all ready to have some fun? All right, the title of my message this morning is, Will He Find Faith? Will He Find Faith? Amen. So let's get right into the Word, and let's explore this fascinating topic. Luke chapter 18, verse 1 through 8. I'll be reading in the New King James Version, Luke chapter 18, verse 1 through 8. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Let me stop right there. Don't lose heart because of what it looks like is happening to our nation. Continue to pray and continue to declare what you believe God has destined for America. Amen. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while But afterward, he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? The Amplified says it like this. Will he find this kind of persistent faith on the earth? So let's take a few minutes to unpack the parable of the unjust judge. I'm going to give you my thoughts on what this parable is trying to teach us. Number one, the first thing I want you to see is this. God is not saying that we should pester Him and pester Him until He finally gives in and gives us what we want. No, Jesus is making a huge contrast between the unjust judge and the God who is the most righteous and just judge in all the universe. No, he says, he will not be like the unjust judge who does not fear God or man, who really doesn't care about anybody and only grants you justice to get you off his back. No, he says, God will avenge the ones he loves, the ones who cry out day and night to him, and he won't drag his feet like the unjust judge. He will avenge them speedily. The second thing I want you to see is this. Although he does not advocate 
the pester God till he gives in method of prayer. He does seem to be saying that we should emulate the persistent faith of the widow in this parable. Only with the right mindset that God will not answer a cry for justice grudgingly, but willingly and speedily. Number three thing I want you to see is this. The Bible tells us that when Jesus comes to visit people and places on planet earth, he'll be looking for this kind of persistent faith. Brother Scott, what do you mean when Jesus comes to visit planet earth? Well, the Bible makes it clear that even though Jesus lives in heaven, he does get off his throne and visit the earth from time to time. And when he comes, he's looking for a persistent, never let go, never give in, bulldog kind of faith. Speaking of bulldog kind of faith, let me share a testimony with you along those lines. It is germane, and it will segue nicely into a scripture passage that makes it clear that Jesus does indeed come to visit us from time to time here on planet Earth. So stay with me. This vision is called Jesus and the Puppy. Many of you have heard it. Many of you have not. On the morning of May 13, 2014, in the west bedroom of 138 Downing Court, Bossier City, Louisiana, kind of sound like Brother Hagen, don't I? Trish and I were asleep when I suddenly awoke to a vision. Now, this was about the time that the Lord had begun dealing with us about moving back to North Carolina, our home state, to pastor here in Wilmington. We knew we were entering a season change, and to be honest, it was already beginning to put a strain on our marriage. So in the vision, Jesus came into the bedroom dressed in a white robe with an overlaid tan shawl. It was really cool looking. He had long hair. It looked curly, brownish, maybe a little bit blonde. And I can't say for sure what color his eyes were, but I do think he was about 5 foot 10 inches tall. And he was holding an English bulldog puppy in his arms, which was white with brown spots. And it was so cute. So he walks into our bedroom, he walks to the foot of the bed, he puts the small puppy on the bed, and it curled up at our feet and went to sleep. Then he started speaking to me with no explanation whatsoever about why he had brought an English bulldog puppy with him in the vision. He just started talking. He said, you are entering a new season and you're going to have to fight for your marriage. Remember, your marriage is the most valuable thing you have on planet Earth. So fight for it. Contend for it. Care for it. For it is very valuable. Worth preserving. And worth fighting for. I can't ever get through that part without getting emotional. Then I came out of the vision and immediately looked at the foot of the bed to see if the puppy was still there. And to my supreme disappointment, it was not. 
He brought it from heaven, and I believe he took it back to heaven with him. Amen. But I believe that puppy is waiting for me in my mansion. Amen. Trisha and I have this ongoing dialogue about this because she loves French bulldogs. And I tell her the word of the Lord is we should own an English bulldog. What are you talking about, French bulldogs? I think she'll win that battle. But I got him waiting for me in heaven. Amen. All right, so, so I thought I get the message, Lord, and I understand this season will take a toll on my marriage if I'm not ready for what lies ahead. I understand. But why the puppy, Lord? What was that all about? Is there a place in the Bible where you used props in a vision to convey a message to one of your people? Those were the two questions I asked the Lord. And let me show you where he answered this last question in the word, and then we'll get back to the bulldog. Revelation chapter 1, starting at verse 10, and we'll read through chapter 2, verse 1. Revelation chapter 1, verse 10 through chapter 2, verse 1, in the New King James Version. This is a glorious picture of the, the magnificent Jesus Christ in all of His glory. Not in His natural appearance, but in His glorified state. So the background is the Apostle John is caught up by the Lord Jesus in a vision, taken to heaven, and begins to speak to Him here in verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Remember that, seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Whoo, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. I reckon so. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. Now, when I was the head of our Bible school in Louisiana, 
One of the courses I taught was Revelation, and I taught it for seven years, so I've become very familiar with the book of Revelation. And one of the things that I used to tell the students here in verse 19, listen to this, write the things which you have seen. That talks about things in the past and the things which are, things that are present, and the things which will take place after this, things in the future. So right there, the Bible tells you that the book of Revelation is not just about the future, it's about the present and the past. Little nugget for you, little side journey there, but it was worthwhile. Verse 20. Jesus begins to explain the meaning of some of the symbols that John sees in the vision. I've actually had this happen to me in dreams where the Lord will tell me in an audible voice, this means this, and this means this, and this means this. So this has happened to me. Verse 20, Jesus says, The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels... Some translations say the messengers. Many of us believe this is referring to the pastors of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Everybody follow that? All right. So the seven stars are, I believe, the pastors of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So he goes on, he says, to the angel of the church at Ephesus, write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Did you hear that? He walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. So here we see from this passage in Revelation chapter one and two, That Jesus uses props in a vision to convey a message to the Apostle John. Furthermore, if the candlesticks represent the churches, then it's clear to me from the Scripture that from time to time, Jesus gets up off His throne, comes down to the earth, and walks in the midst of the churches. Not just the churches, but also in our homes. And anywhere people are gathered together to worship the Lord, that is a church. And Jesus will walk in the midst of the churches. Amen? Whether he comes in bodily form or in the spirit, I think it's up to him. Now, I do not believe that that vision that morning was of the natural, physical Jesus. It was a spiritual vision. But I saw him clearly. I heard him clearly. I saw the bulldog clearly, and I'm missing that bulldog. And that was six years ago. She's like, never. English bulldogs are sloppy, and they drool all the time. We're going to get a nice, cute French bulldog. So whether he comes in bodily form or not, it's, it's really up to him. Either way, it's clear to me that he comes for a visit now and then to the churches and also into our homes. And he's looking to find persistent Never let go, never give in, bulldog kind of faith. Okay, Lord, you showed me in the Bible where you use props in a vision. So now that I know that is true, what about the English puppy bulldog? What was that all about? 
You know, I heard a still, small voice on the inside give me an instant reply, and he said, is it really that hard to figure out? Just think about it. So I did. I just thought about it for just a few seconds. And all of a sudden, it came to me, and I spoke it to the Lord. Oh, I get it, Lord. Number one, bulldogs are known for their tenacity. So you need me to fight for my marriage with the persistent, never let go, never give in, bulldog kind of faith. I get that, Lord. Number two, puppies need constant care and affection, and so does my marriage. So I believe Jesus walked into the midst of my home, came into our bedroom, looking for and stoking that kind of persistent faith in me that I would need to fight for my marriage in the difficult season ahead. And I don't have time to tell you, but it was a very rough season change for us. We left a six-figure job, plenty of money, lots of open doors in ministry, head of a Bible school. She was my administrator. We had a good gig, and the Lord said, I want you to leave all of that behind and go pioneer a church in North Carolina. Do some real work, she says. I tell people this all the time. I've flown in combat in two different aircraft in two different conflicts, been shot at, almost died, and I'd almost rather do that again than to pioneer a new church. I'm just being a rare moment of transparency with Brother Scott. So I want to share another testimony that I'm familiar with and Trish is familiar with that illustrate the same concept. That Jesus walks in the midst of our churches and our homes and he's looking for faith. Trish and I met a couple at a minister's conference 25 years ago who shared a fantastic testimony about how their Episcopal youth group uh, got filled with the Holy Spirit by Jesus Christ himself. Um, Basically, I will call them John and Julie. I don't want to use their last name on the recording. But John and Julie had gotten filled with the Spirit as Episcopal youth pastors. I can identify with them because I grew up Episcopal, so I immediately was drawn to this couple. They had gotten filled with the Spirit, and they began to teach their youth about the glories of being filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit and moving and operating in the gifts and talking in tongues and having a private prayer language between you and God. And so the youth group got stoked and excited. They didn't know any better. That was back in the 70s when, you know, the charismatic revival was sweeping the churches, especially the liberal denominations like the Episcopal Church. And people were wanting the Holy Ghost because nobody had had a chance to talk them out of it yet. Amen. (laughs) Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. So the whole youth group is fired up and they're seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Only they don't know a lot. They don't know enough word to know that, you know, John and Julie could actually lay hands on them and they could also get filled with the Holy Spirit, you know. Back in those days, people were getting spontaneously filled with the Holy Spirit just in a service, and they would start talking in tongues. So it took a while for people to figure out that you could lay hands on other believers and they could receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So soon after John and Julie had been filled with the Spirit, 
They told us that they scheduled a youth retreat at a campsite in some remote area of Missouri. I believe it was Missouri. Uh, And they had just started an evening service in the camp chapel when suddenly the back door opened up and in walked Jesus. It was an open vision and everybody in the chapel saw Jesus. Everybody. Most of the kids were worshiping God with their hands in the air when this happened. So as the story goes, Jesus worked his way through the chapel until he had laid hands on every one of the youth and everyone he laid hands on began to speak with other tongues. Every single one. Listen, if Jesus baptized you in the Holy Ghost, you're going to get it right. Amen. But I want you to notice that Jesus came walking among them in the chapel, which was the church where they were worshiping. They were the church, but you know what I'm talking about. It was the place they were meeting. And he was looking for faith. And when he found enough faith, he got the whole youth group filled with the Holy Ghost. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. You know, sometimes I... I hesitate to share some of these supernatural stories with you people, but I'm sorry I called you you people. I hear that's like a denigrating term. I didn't mean it like that. But you know what? We serve a supernatural God. There is such a thing as visions and dreams and miracles. Why are we so sheepish about sharing such things? They happen. They are not fairy tales. They're the real deal. So maybe it's just something I need to work on. And I need to freely share about the supernatural nature of God. I tell you what, I've been a Christian now going on 50 years. And I've lived a supernatural life. Amen. It just comes with the territory. Amen. All right, so let's, let's back up a little bit and let's talk about when Jesus came to the earth the first time for a 33-year visit. What did he encounter when he came the first time concerning faith? Because I'm telling you, when he even came the first time, he was looking for faith. Sometimes when he comes to a certain town in the Bible, he finds little or no faith. Mark chapter 6, verse 4 through 6, New King James Version, Mark chapter 6, verse 4 through 6. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Now, how many know you don't want Jesus marveling at your unbelief? You know, they said, this is just the son of Joseph who who, who we knew and he's already passed away. But this is Joseph's son and we know his brothers. We know his sisters. We know the carpentry shop he worked in. We know all about him. How could he be anybody special? How could the anointing of God be on him? Because they knew him, they rejected the gift that was in him. That's a word to the wise today. Sometimes you get too familiar with people 
and you forget to see the gift in them. You look at the flaws. And trust me, no matter who you are, if you spend time with people and you spend enough time with people, your flaws and their flaws will come to the surface. You will see them and you will be tempted not to see the gift of God in them. Don't go there. Don't go there. Please don't go there with me because I know probably y'all have already seen that I have a few flaws. <laughs> and if you want to hear more about such things, just talk to my wife for five minutes. All right, so verse 6 says, and he marveled because of their unbelief. That means he was shocked at their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Notice that the antidote that Jesus uses for unbelief was teaching. He encountered unbelief, so he went in a circuit in that region, and he taught faith. I guarantee you, he taught healing. He taught forgiveness of sin. He taught the people to lower the level of unbelief and raise the level of their faith. Amen. Luke chapter 8, verse 22 to 25. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake, and they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. Amen. You know, if you read some of the other gospel accounts, you find out that there were other little ships with the big ship that they were in. And I always think about the fact if the big ship was sinking, what about those poor little ships? They must have been hanging on by the pontoons in the water, you know, just staying afloat the best they could. Anyway, I think you'd agree with me that there was little or no faith there. There was some faith, which we'll talk about here in just a minute, but there was not what you'd call great faith. Amen? Sometimes when he comes, he finds great faith. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5 through 11. In the New King James Version, Matthew chapter 8, verse 5 through 11. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled, there's that word again, and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of 
heaven. Amen. He marveled at the faith of this Roman officer who commanded a hundred men. He's saying, I've gone all through Israel and I haven't found anybody that has the kind of faith that this Roman does. He's not even a Jew. And he marveled at his great faith. He gets it. He's a man of authority. He understands he has natural physical authority in the army of Rome. But he also understands that I have a spiritual authority in the realm of the spirit. And he knows that if I make the command, it's going to come to pass and nothing can stop it. And that is great faith. If you had to choose between Jesus marveling over you for one of two reasons, would you choose great faith or no faith? Of course we want to be recognized for great faith. Amen. Amen. Some of you haven't been walking with the Lord long enough to have great faith built up in your heart. But you don't need to feel like you're less of a believer than anyone else. We're all at various levels of faith in our walk with the Lord. Isn't that right? So let me say this. Whether he finds great faith or little faith, Jesus is always ready to meet you at your current level of faith. Did you hear that? Let me say that again. Whether he finds great faith or little faith, Jesus is always ready to meet you at your current level of faith. He marveled at the centurion's high level of faith and told him, as you have believed, so be it unto you. And he went home and found out that his servant was healed the very same hour that Jesus spoke those words. Concerning the disciples in the boat that was sinking. Listen to me. Even though their faith was small, at least they had enough faith to ask Jesus for help. They knew there was no one else in that boat that could help them but Jesus. And Jesus didn't leave them high and dry or I should say wet and drowned. He delivered them from the storm that threatened to destroy them. You know, Romans 10, 13 says it very succinctly. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. They knew enough to cry out to Jesus. Listen, if the only faith you can muster is this, Jesus, save me. The Bible says he'll honor that and he will save you. Amen? How many have ever been in a situation where you just... That's all that came out of your mouth. Jesus, save me. I need your help. No one else can help me. Only you, Lord. I've been there many times. And he always brought me through. So let me wrap this up with a few concluding thoughts. And reiterate that I believe that this concept of the Lord walking in the midst of the churches and in the midst of our homes, I believe it's a New Testament expression of an Old Testament promise. Second Chronicles 16.9, the first half of the verse. Second Chronicles 16.9 in the New King James Version. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him.
Jesus is walking in the midst of the churches looking for faith in those who are loyal to him. Why? So he can move mightily on your behalf. And even though he will meet you at your current level of faith, I believe it should be the goal of every believer to develop their faith to the point that Jesus marvels at your faith and not at your unbelief. If we want to do great things for God, we're going to have to stretch our faith like never before. So I believe whether Jesus comes for a visit or whether he comes for a stay, whether he comes to your church or whether he comes to your home, he's looking for persistent, never let go, never give in, bulldog kind of faith. When Jesus comes for a visit, when he walks in the midst of faith life fellowship, will he find that kind of faith in this place? I'm going to ask it again. When Jesus comes for a visit, when he walks in the midst of faith, life, fellowship, will he find that kind of faith in this place? Yes. I say yes. We talked about the two blind men in Matthew 9, 28 last week, and I have been meditating on it for weeks They followed him somehow to the house where he was teaching. And Jesus asked them, do you believe I am able to do this for you? They said, yes, Lord, just like y'all did just a minute ago. And their eyes were opened according to the faith that the Lord found in them. Remember, he's always looking for faith. So when it comes to dreaming big dreams for God, he's asking us these questions. Do you believe I'm able to do these things for you? Do you believe I'm able to do these things for your church? Do you believe I'm able to rescue America from this terrible wrong turn we appear to be making? Do you believe... I am able to bring righteousness, truth, and justice to America. I say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed Dr. Forrest's message, Will He Find Faith? If you're in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for Coffee and Fellowship and 10.30 for Worship and Service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.